Hello, my fanist friends. Welcome to my podcast feed. Powered by ACAS Plus, here's a joke from my son. What did the bum say to the other bum? That's a bummer. You know, not for everyone. Uh, so, uh, look, thanks to everyone who's come to see the previews of Can I Have My Ball Back. It's been going really, really well, and uh, I'm really pleased with how the show's turning out. It's officially on tour now from Wednesday. I'll be at the Leicester Square Theatre. A couple of tickets left. Lots of press coming to that one. It'd be lovely to sell out, but there are a few other London gigs not selling as well. So if you're going to come to London... Maybe look up those other London gigs. And then this week I'll be in St Albans on Thursday, Gloucester on Friday, Chorley on Saturday, which is sold out. You can join the waiting list. And Glasgow on Sunday, two shows. I think the earlier show is sold out. Check with the venue, but the later show has some availability. Come along if you can. If you enjoy these podcasts and like them being free, then the great way to pay me back is to buy a ticket to a show or buy a download or a book from gofasterstripe.com. But you can just keep listening for free as well. That pays me back also. So, you know, no no pressure. But I'd love to see you there. If you just know me from the podcast and don't know me as a stand-up, I'm pretty good as a stand-up. It's a good show. I think you're going to enjoy it. It's only made about seven men faint so far. So, you know, are you brave enough to take the challenge? Let's sit back, relax and enjoy whichever podcast you're listening to now. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. to another Rahalastapur book club. Very excited uh, to be talking to Harriet Gibson about her book, Is This Okay? Hello, Harriet. Hello, Richard. Are you all right? I'm good. How are you doing? Good. Oh, you know, I'm all right, given given everything else. Um, so <laughs> uh, given, given all that you have to do. Um, so look, this book is uh, sort of terrifying and funny and <laughs> fantastic. Um, uh, I thought it was good. I actually thought it might go darker than it did in the in the early passages. Do you want to tell us first of all uh, uh, a bit about yourself and what you've done before and who you are? Yeah, of course. Um, so I've been a, a journalist for just over fifteen years. I started out at MTV, and uh, I've been a music journalist for various places like The Fly, which is sadly deceased and then enemy Q and I worked at the Guardian for eight years as an editor and a, and a writer but I've primarily focused on writing about musicians and comedians and this is my first stab at doing something um in my own voice and about yeah. my own life um yeah I'm wondering why you thought it was terrifying I'm, so, I'm now worried <laughs> well because I thought like um because it's sort of it's, it looks like it I mean it's sort of it's about uh parasocial relationships and I kind of thought when it started when you started talking about um 
you know, being interested in celebrities, but then working as a journalist, I thought, well, this could go... I mean, it goes to some mildly dark places, but I thought it could go, like, somewhere darker than it... Than it I was going to murder someone, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I doubt, <laughs> not that you're going to murder someone, but it could... Because it, it, it's about, you know, it's an interesting <laughs> subject that the kind of online relationships and the relationships we have with people we don't know, and obviously, from my point of view... Um, as someone who's been in the bit in the public eye, I, I sometimes experience that the other way around as well. So that people who I don't know feel they know me, or people, I don't know. And and because the sort of work I do is very much like, hey, we're all part of a gang. I can completely mm. understand that, and you know, and I want to encourage that in a way. But it, but it, every now and again, someone will take that a little bit too far or I misunderstand see. the relationship. So although yeah. I, I, I think. Uh, Yours is mainly, uh, for you, it's mainly uh, a sort of fantasy uh, and personal journey rather than you doing anything weird. But I thought that would be quite a good horror story about a music journalist who meets all the musicians that she's fantasised about and then you know, <laughs> does, does unpleasant things to them. I was going to say, I can't think of anything worse than actually like uh, making anyone feel intimidated. Um, so I've always kept these fantasies very private. And I um, I know exactly what you mean, that, that kind of the way that social media has allowed people to feel as if you're part of one gr- group. And uh, I've never actually directly contacted anyone that I've been in love with apart from Deliciously Ella. Um, and she was very kind. But I, I left it at that. I, one message. That's all it was. Yeah. <laughs> so t- tell us about the, so the, what what uh, what prompted you? Obviously, you'd written about a few of these the things that that happened in the book. It is a very personal book, and it, it's sort of a biography, autobiography of a, a certain aspect of your life. And a lot of it, uh, certainly the second half, it becomes sort of very personal and visceral in some places. Um, what what made you think there was that it, that it had to be a book, and and mm. and, and how did how, how did that progress? Well, I I was in a bit of a precarious position professionally because um, I used to work at The Guide and um, The Guardian sadly closed it while I was on my maternity leave. And I kind of felt that I was at a bit of a crossroads professionally where the writing that I wanted to do, which isn't very serious, it's often quite sort of irreverent and silly, there wasn't so much of a place for it anymore in in modern um, print and online journalism. Um, And I didn't really know where I would want to go beyond the Guardian. And I went for, I went for a sort of misery walk one evening (laughs) and I was sort of berating myself. I was thinking, what do you actually know about what, like beyond just sort of random facts about people you barely know online? And what, what have you actually dedicated your life to other than staring at people on the internet? And I sort of had an epiphany in that moment of self-loathing that I could actually turn my weakness into my strength and you know the more I spoke to friends and 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 I kind of probed online about it I realized that so many of us are spending all our time online but we rarely talk about what we're actually doing and what we're actually doing is staring at people and I think there's often a value in exploring what we're actually looking for because it is a waste of time and I hate that I've spent 20 years doing it but at the same time I think it's really revealed to me a lot about my my desires in life, my 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 coping mechanisms, which is escapism massively, yeah. and um, and and what makes me feel really rubbish about myself. Um, I was a really jealous young girl, and 
that totally consumed me when the internet came along. Um, yeah, I suppose it's just adding a kind of uh, more introspective gaze onto internet culture, which is something that I've evolved with as well as evolving as a woman. Yeah, I mean, it is interesting because your your whole life really, I mean, for me, I remember the internet uh, arriving and I remember <laughs> I remember sort of getting involved quite early on in it. Um, but for you, it's sort of, Certainly, all your all all that you'll remember in your life, it's always been there. Um, so, it, it, you know, I think that it, it's it, it's great to see someone write about that. I think I think your experiences will be common to a a lot of people uh, in terms of you know the way probably a lot of people slightly cyberstalk people or, or look at, or, or can't keep their eyes off you know potential partners or ex partners. Um, Instagram or whatever or social media I mean that is interesting because even for me I think by the time I met my wife sort of social media was just sort of taking off but I've I've, and you know I think I remember a couple of girlfriends I might have googled just before I went on a date with them or whatever I remember (laughs) once a girl I ended up going out with was searching for something on my computer she sent me something and found these photos of her that I'd Uh. accidentally downloaded they're just of her face, no. but it was quite. But it, but it was quite. It was quite sweet because it just. Because it just. But it, whenever I'd first searched her, because I thought, who is it? You know, I'd obviously just accidentally downloaded some photos of her. So it, luckily, we were going out, and luckily, it, she found it sweet rather than <laughs> intense, intensely creepy. But I mean, so I didn't. I didn't have much. I didn't have much experience of the kind of thing that that you did. But you know, you've. You know, I think like yeah. Again, for someone who's you're obviously were and maybe still are quite insecure i mean there's, there's, you're very honest in this book about your your insecurities you sort of you know you feel like you're a very good writer so i don't think you should be feeling these things but you feel like you've got uh imposter syndrome i suppose which i think we all feel a, a little bit mm. um but uh yeah the, the honesty you know it is it's sort of breathtakingly honest at times and but i think most people will have done certainly the fantasy elements of it would would have thought similar stuff yeah I I am insecure um I think I think that as I've gotten older I've especially I so I went through the menopause in my late 20s and going through that there's something about that hormonal shift into the menopause uh I'm sort of eight years into it now that does sort of remove some of that sort of timidity that I did have when I was younger so this book is like absolutely jam-packed with self-deprecation and a lot of self-loathing and even when I read it back now which I did this morning I'm kind of quite shocked and upset (laughs) I've kind of stayed away from (laughs) rereading it because the person who wrote it you know that person a year ago had a, a real like tunnel vision and real intention and like a kind of confidence in itself to actually be able to put it out that in that confident way like I think it does require a bit of confidence to lay it on the line like that so I don't think I am too um uh uh, insecure these days but it is quite yeah it does sort of take my breath away when I I hear myself talking so negatively and relentlessly the book is also fun though hopefully it is very it is very funny and yeah I mean it's it, but I think that that on it is the honesty of it is that's you know it's a very stand-up comedian impulse I think to the if you're honest with the audience and it's something that I've done a lot in my comedy 
uh, and, and my and my podcast. I think if you if you're honest about your own failings and the stupid things you've done and the ridiculous things you've done, it does help other people to go. Oh yeah, well yeah. that's the human condition. I, you know, I'm not. I don't think. I don't think your experience is universal, but I think there's elements of it that will yeah. be universal. I found it quite interesting as a as a comedian. You know, who's to uh, you know who for journalists can sometimes be. Um, you know, not quite the enemy, but certainly there's, there's a battle line drawn up. Uh, I found it quite an interesting look into what I imagined might be the case with a lot of cool journalists and that they're, they're sort of all kind of, I mean, you're very honest about that, about kind of, you know, writing bad reviews of people to try and make a name for yourself and then realising they hurt people and, and feeling bad oh about good it. Lord. It's, it's, which is really nice to, to, it's really interesting to read that and to know that often, you know, you. I always the the enemy time when times I was in the enemy would have been before you were there, uh, and you mentioned Johnny Cigarettes, who's a which is a name I hadn't heard for a while <laughs> that I remember. Yeah. But uh, you know, we were fated a little bit by the enemy. But you you kind of always suspected, as you know, as sure was the case for myself as well, that you know you're trying to be cooler than you are, and you're trying to fit in, but you're equally trying to stand out. It's it's a horrible kind of yeah. self persecuting world to be in as a, as a young. 20-something, I suppose. Yeah, I've never met a group of more sort of socially incompetent people than journalists, <laughs> generally. I mean, arts journalists, but also just war reporter, any any genre. I'm always just shocked <laughs> that they're the people capable of extracting information from very talented people. It's, it's, it's almost <laughs> like their awkwardness is the thing that allows for the information to be dragged out of the person they're interviewing because... They're sort of yeah. quite comfortable sitting in that silence. Um, I would say in the noughties particularly, it was just the Wild West, wasn't it? There was no consideration for anyone's mental health or anyone's safeguarding. It was it was a kind of, um, it was a very macho boys club of who can say the rudest thing. I remember sitting down um, in someone's house trying to review a Reading Festival set and I said to them, what's the worst thing I could say? And they said, Oh, you could describe them as an abortion. I was like, oh yeah, I'll write that. And I would never do that now. Not only because I'd be terrified of being uh, cancelled on Twitter for sort of uh, demeaning (laughs) abortions, but because it's just so mean. And especially now I've written a book, I know what's involved in making something and how precious it is and how you always feel misunderstood. And um, yeah, it's been a very humbling experience. (laughs) Very humbling experience. No one has been really nasty about my book but one person has diagnosed me with a litany of uh quite severe mental disorders which I wasn't expecting um so I'm like oh you know the spirit of being a nasty vitriolic person sort of lives on in a new way in journalism yeah yeah I mean it is it you know definitely is it is a it's a terrible thing when you've when you have worked hard on something, you know, I've, I've, I've found that with sometimes you get a review from someone and you think, I mean, I was called the worst comedy experience of 2005 by the Daily Telegraph at the end of the year <sighs> about my Edinburgh show, which was actually not, you know, it was an interesting show. I could see why people wouldn't like it. But you kind of think what, I mean, I was sort of chuffed because it was a Daily Telegraph and, and the guy had been so angry about the show that he'd waited that long. But you kind of think, how can that guy who's, who's yeah. reviews all comedy kind of pick on that show and not go at least... He was trying to do something interesting with that. So you, you're aware that sometimes there's, you know, it's, it's, it's like when people comment on Twitter about you kind of think, I've, I've realised often when people get upset about something you've done, it's because 
what you're talking about directly affects them in some in some way. So they get much more yeah. kind of viscerally uh, viscerally upset about it, or you've done something without realizing that's up, that's upset someone. But yeah, and sometimes people are just trying Absolutely. to be mean. Yeah, but that, that's true of it's certainly true of me in my twenties as a comedian. There's there's loads of jokes mm. I would I would have done in my twenties that I wouldn't do now. You know, that's part of the growing process, and that and music journalism. I mean, it isn't anymore, but it, you know, it, it should be the prerogative really of people in their twenties mainly. Um, so yeah, it, it's it's going to have that. It's everything. I really enjoy. I know it's nasty, but I do still really enjoy reading a kicking. Like if someone gets one star, I do. I do quite enjoy it. Read that experience yeah. of reading it. Um, but you've got you've got to pick on someone who is absolutely uh, industrial. Like you know, you can slag off Beyonce, but if you're like an artist who's playing their first gig at Dingwalls at like 4pm on a Saturday, just leave them alone. And I write in the book about um, this, this band that I decide to, to be critical of and the front person sends me a DM at 3am explaining how much it's hurt him. And uh, yeah, it was, yeah. it was a real moment in time of realizing people are fragile and I'm not uh, capable of being that ruthless. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, I mean, it just made, you know, by the by, it sort of just made me think of the weird relationship between journalists and the people they're reviewing and interviewing, because it's not, it's never going to be an even relationship and it's never going to be quite honest because, the, you know, you're aware as being interviewed that you can't piss the other person off or you have to be, you have to guard yourself a little bit against mm. the other person, however much you, you feel you trust them. So, and and, and it's... Yeah, there's a brilliant Tim Minchin song where he, he lays into his one-star reviewer called uh, Phil Doust that he's written this awful reply song to, which you, you but it's funny because he does exactly what you're not meant to do, and it's one of the funniest things there's ever been. But it's but you know, as a as someone who's being reviewed, you can't do that because that would annoy the person for a review down the line. So it's the, it is a it's a weird <laughs> position of power that you, you have as a journalist. Um, but it's sort of like built on this, you know, built on a sort of negative things. I, I found that very, I found that very interesting, and that sort of does come across in the book. Um, but it's about, you know, it is about so much more. And as you say, there's there's lots of uh, lots of funny stuff in it, and lots of, um, I mean, look, look, again, as a parent, lots of slightly worrying things because of, you know, obviously you're quite young when you sort of found. MSN Messenger and these group chats and stuff, and you were sort of, you know, sort of talking to adults as if you were an adult, and that's the kind of terror, terrifying mm. thing as a as a parent, as you'll as you'll increasingly find as your as your child. I hope, I hope my son reads my book and never wants to log on ever again because he's so horrified <laughs> um that that's the dream this is kind of a, a, war, a warning uh a warning sign to my to my little boy this book <laughs> and, you know but it but it, it, it i mean i'm i'm obsessed with the i mean i'm not really obsessed with looking up old girlfriends or or their partners or anything like that but i am online all the time and you do sort of you know and I, 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 i'm either online or playing games on my phone and wasting so much of my time but i think again as a writer possibly You'd need to do possibly there's something about empty, you know, having your brain go blank so that you can write when you need to. But it, mm. it is a, you know, it's I mean it's it's twenty or thirty years now, isn't it? But it's but it's a, it's it's a weird thing that we we have this resource that has so much information in it, which is amazing in some ways and then just terrible in others. And 
and especially if you're the kind of person who, as you are or as you were, that uh, can't quite resist stepping away. Yeah, it was really hard writing the book because uh, I really wanted to log out of all my accounts, but I really needed to use them to research uh, my past life. So I was chronically online while writing about the dangers of being chronically online. And I have to say, one of the (laughs) hardest things is looking at the way in which you used to communicate with people when you were even a year ago, but you know, when you're 17 retracing hotmail email threads, either I'd email sort of a prospective employer that I wanted work experience with, or I'd be emailing a boy that I fancied and the absolute boisterousness and just insanity that I used to (laughs) write these messages to people as if I was really, I, I think I must've been told just like go in really confident, really brash. That's how you get what you want. And I'd nag people and it wasn't, it wasn't appropriate at all. So confronting all those old messages was disgusting on Hotmail. I don't recommend anyone does that, but then even uh, Facebook updates from <laughs> the early noughties. I mean, there's some real tragic attempts at being a comedian and, it's just it's just kind of the whole thing was a really disgusting, <laughs> humiliating uh, experience. Um, but yeah, it's, it, when, you, when you sort of say about um, kind of focus, I, I think one of the things um, I hate sort of wanging on about why the internet's bad, because everyone knows it's bad. But I just think what we've lost is like the um, the resting period that you have in between work and being with your friends or family and socialising. Sometimes I feel that I use the internet as a quick break, but actually it's just loading my brain full of more stress and information. So I never, ever feel that rested anymore, I think. Um, And I certainly find that when I'm working really hard and then I have a quick five minutes, you know, it's sort of doubling the amount of exhaustion that I already have as a person. And it's really frustrating. Um, I think I need to take up like fidget spinning or something else. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Um, and so, like, you are, you, you, there are a couple of, uh, well, two or three celebrities, I suppose, you're obsessed with uh, in this book, and uh, Chris Martin. I do. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't say I know him, uh, but I've met Chris Martin a few times. So, and I, could, I certainly have. I could let him know about the book if you 
would like him to read it. I played, but I, weirdly, I didn't really realise who he was when I met him. And did, I knew he'd done, like, Yellow, but I hadn't realised quite how big a deal was. He's a friend of Al Murray's, my, who, I, who I was oh. writing with. So I played oh. trivia, I've played Trivial Pursuit with, with uh, Chris Martin. Uh, and every time he landed on history, we sang Yellow at him. Uh, and uh, I, I went to the minicab <laughs> office with him after that, and we sat, we sat in the minicab office. And the next time I saw him, I'd just been to Australia, uh, and I'd seen his CD in Australia, and I said, wow, mate, you're doing r- pretty well. I saw your CD in Australia. <laughs> and he went, yeah, because they were like a, you know, a massive <laughs> band. That I, had, I, hadn't, I hadn't realized how, how massive they were. So, you know, oh, uh, I could probably gosh. get – do, do you think he's going to see this book? Because there's a big uh, fancy element where you end up in a, a toilet at uh, – is it a disabled toilet in Glastonbury or something like that where you – you end up together. Mm. I hope it's a fantasy. Just I a assumed celebrity it was a party. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot of people who've read it have gone, oh, it took me quite a while to realise that we just slipped into a fantasy because um, <laughs> very abruptly my husband dies <laughs> and uh, this is in the fantasy. Uh, and Chris is there to rescue me and he takes me to his five-storey townhouse uh, to look after me because I'm a widow and it's Christmas. And um, there's an incident in which Gwyneth Paltrow turns up and is charming the the Christmas party taking place at Chris Martin's house. And uh, she naturally has a bit of um, animos- animosity towards me because I've, um, I'm sleeping in her daughter Apple's room. And I won't spoil anything else, but it's quite sort of... Uh, sexually repulsive depending on how you feel about Chris Martin and his chest hair <laughs> but there's you know a lot of stuff happens there's a there's a big murder at the end but um that was my favorite thing I've had to write and I suppose I want to ask you as someone who knows Chris incredibly well how do you think he would respond to it because I've watched lots of interviews with him and I think he's very funny and very self-aware but do you think maybe it's a step too far um, yeah, I think he's got quite a good sense of humour. I think he would sort of be, I think he'd be flattered. Yeah, he does seem there is, quite nice. he does seem nice. And I feel like there's a lot of, um, you know, compliments in there about his, his ability as a front man and, a, you know, as, as a, an aesthetic being. But um, there's some things I say about his performance as a lover that I worry that he might not appreciate that much. Even though it's fabricated, he might have wanted a slightly more complimentary write-up on that. <laughs> fancy Maybe. I would, I would have thought that he, um, you know, he, he probably gets a lot of this, though. Like, I think, for, you know, there'll be a lot of stuff online about this. There'll be a lot of people sending him... Uh, more than fantasies, I'm sure there'll be people sending him all sorts of stuff if he's got any kind of online uh, presence at all. So you know, I think he could probably cope with it, but mm-hmm. it might. You know, if you want, if you seriously want to get if your husband to die and to get into a relationship with him, it might. If that came up just the day before your wedding, it might might make him think twice. No, I don't want my husband to die. I think. Um, <laughs> <Are you> sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Okay. Yeah. Um, no, I, I think I think maybe it's best that we we leave it for now in terms of sending it to him. Um, but then you know, somewhere along the line, it might boost sales a bit if Chris were to put it on his Instagram. That could be quite handy. Yeah. So I think it'd be, I think that'd be in, it would be interesting to see that. So maybe hopefully yeah. somewhere along the line. I think like the deliciously Ella um, stuff is 
for people who don't know who Delicious the Ella is, can you explain who Delicious the Ella is? Yeah, of course. She's um she's a well-being influencer who made her name as someone who was formerly ill but made herself better because she just sort of ate quinoa and nut butter. Um <laughs> And she has had a lot of success. She's actually heir to the Sainsbury's uh, brand, heiress rather, um, but she's kind of sidelined that. Um, I actually think she has some amazing recipes and I'm very pro her uh, as, a, as a figure in, in sort of healthy eating. Um, but I very much got swept away with her lifestyle brand when I was pregnant because being pregnant, it was the first time I'd had to actually look after my body in a way that was completely supervised, very regulated. I was eating for another human being rather than kind of being a bit slapdash and often restrictive in the way that young women uh, aren't necessarily always that kind to their bodies. Um, And so I looked to her as a kind of guru. And the sad thing about that is she had a really beautiful birth. It was was just sort of panpipes, candles, uh, hypnobirthing. The baby sort of slipped out when she coughed and then... uh, (laughs) they breastfed into oblivion um, and then she felt really sexy and beautiful the next day. <laughs> and um, my, my, my birth on the other hand, wasn't quite as sort of uh, cute as that. And uh, I, I had this absolutely vitriolic envy towards her experience. Cause I think a lot of women feel like they've been robbed of something quite profound when the birth has been nasty. Um, so I use her in the book as a kind of, uh, that kind of compare and despair thing. I I, I put her her birth uh, schedule down blow by blow. So the contractions began. She lit some candles, whereas I kind of put on a, a four part uh, Channel Four document uh, uh, drama series about Robbie Coltrane being a paedophile. Um, and just from there, it's just everything that she does, I do very differently. And uh, I use it kind kind of actually as a method to talk about the birth itself because it was very traumatic and I still sort of struggle with it today. Um, but I don't hope she's not offended by that because she's just living her life and trying to promote her brand. But I do find it very upsetting when people have had lovely experiences with giving birth. And I don't know if that makes me a bad person or not. I don't think so. I think, you know, I... I um again empathized with it having viewed a couple of births <laughs> and having to, and having uh the, you know which is traumatic enough on its own certainly my son's birth was not as traumatic as yours i know yeah kind of you had some issues but it, it all happened very quickly and there weren't enough staff and uh and my wife hadn't had her drugs and i knew i was going to be in a lot of trouble for not having fought her corner more so i've still i'm still kind of quite traumatized by that and I think it is it is weird when you when you read like you know people saying oh breastfeeding is wonderful and easy or birth is incredible. Um, it, it's a it's a difficult thing that social media puts up because obviously for some people birth can be uh, slightly easy. Catherine Ryan was saying actually wants to go back to work two hours after the last one, and you kind of think you know that's fine for her, but then ha- ha- where does that where does that leave? the rest of us that wouldn't be possible for so again it it is this interesting phenomenon that I think in the past you would have either just assumed everyone went through the same thing or you wouldn't really have known or you would talk to your friends and heard about stuff but if you have someone having a a perfect life on Instagram it's very easy to believe that that's completely true when it might not always be and for it to affect you um 
yeah, that's yeah. It, which I, so I think the book's great for that. I'm I'm very sort of against the romanticization of motherhood in general and it being this sort of beautiful I mean it is a gift and for someone who is infertile it's absolutely even more of a gift that I managed to conceive yeah. through donor egg but at the same time it's really brutal and I, I want people to be conscious of that that <laughs> like I don't I don't want and then there's so much shame around finding it hard and disgusting and no, three and a half years in, I'm like you know physically and mentally still not recovered from it, and I think a lot of people should be more conscious of it. And I think the deliciously other thing, while she was just trying to promote a good birth, I think what it comes down to a lot of the time is like sort of bragging, doesn't it? It's like someone talking about how their childhood was brilliant, and <laughs> you know, like sometimes you just got to appreciate that not everyone has had a nice time, and maybe you shouldn't talk about it. <laughs> Yeah, but, but that's the you know that's the problem with social media in a nutshell, though, isn't it? That it is yeah. everyone putting forward their the best of their life, and and then for for anyone who is not feeling part of the gang or any, mm. which is probably most people who are using the internet a lot, uh, and anyone who is you know feeling self conscious, and 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 again, I think it must be most people. I think even the people who seem very confident, again, as your book shows a little bit, you know, those people who think they're confident and cool are, are actually worried underneath and and terrified that they're going to be revealed as uh, as frauds and shams um so it, you know it's it it's the nice thing about the internet and and about books and about uh, you know comedy is is that people can be honest about their their own experiences i i, I still do find it kind of you, you know when you're talking about your own career and your progress through journalism you sort of seem to have no but you know it, it, it you must have had more a little bit more belief than you're letting on or at certain times or you or you you i don't say how you could have you know you were progressing and things were going well mm-hmm. and you were getting jobs and yet your your sort of inner monologue was telling you you didn't deserve any of it or that there were, there were better people or the people you were jealous of mm-hmm. but you yeah. were still getting these incredible jobs you know i mean to, to most people you would you were up there with the if you got a job at the Guardian and yeah. a good job at the Guardian that's like an incredible achievement. Yeah, I think I think getting that first job at the Guardian, I, I remember that feeling when I got told, and it was just the most. Uh, it was just a beautiful experience for some reason, and probably you know something to do with school or a teacher or being humiliated at some stage of my life. I've just I've really small opinion of my mental capabilities and even this morning rereading the book I was like you sick piece of shit (laughs) (laughs) it's it's such a loud volume that negative voice but um I'm working on reducing it somewhat I mean obviously uh I I do think I have been able you know I, I love writing and writing this book was um and just that anyone liking it has been a hugely validating experience but I think the issue with my career and the timing of it is that it has coincided with that thing where you have to put work up and then someone leaves a comment under it. And in those very early days, I didn't know that you weren't meant to look. You know, in 2005, that discourse about trolls and all that wasn't really there yet. So I sort of naively had this kind of pure relationship with the internet where I'd write this thing about a band and it was trying to be funny and playful and, and you know it wasn't very um formal writing it was quite chatty and underneath it would be some some guy <laughs> saying this is the worst thing I've ever read 
And that stays, you know, it really stays with you, as I'm sure you've experienced with like criticism and whatever through the years. And that kind of, and I mean, when you get up to The Guardian, that's a whole new tier of um, below the line commenters. Because the worst thing is they're probably, they are really clever and they do make some really valiant points. (laughs) There's been so many times I've looked and gone, oh yeah, you are right. I think think the problem I have is I really agree and I take on people's criticism. I never go, no, you're wrong. I'm really great. I go, yeah, that's true. I need to, I need to try harder. Um, Yeah. yeah. Again, I think that's a common, that's a common thing and to not, not to accept praise or to not notice the praise. I mean, again, I think like, it certainly bothered me in the past uh, those sort of things but then I also you know I started just asking people when you know like if I, if I put an interview up and people say I hate this person you kind of think why Bob why, why are you feeling the need to say it <laughs> because yeah. it sort of says something it says more about you that you've but you know you could most people would go oh I don't like that person therefore I won't watch that one or I won't I won't comment on it. It takes a certain type of person to go, I I think I feel it's very important that everyone knows my opinion. And a very sort of self-centered person yeah. to think, I need to proclaim this because otherwise this will continue. You know, it's like I all I can do with my podcast is have people on that I think are good or I think will be good. And if you disagree, then set up your own podcast and interview different people. But it's you know, it's sort of like it's sort of a crazy thing to do to go, oh no. Not yeah. this person. Well, you I know, it's, it's one. It, and I think as a comedian, you do start to realise it. Some people don't, but you start to realise, like, A, you're never going to please everybody. And if you were pleasing everybody, that would also be quite bad. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you're going to annoy people. And often, I think, for reasons that are way beyond your control. So it might be someone who doesn't, doesn't like you because they don't want a female journalist. Or it might mm-hmm. be someone because they're in love with Chris Martin and they, they <laughs> want to have him to themselves or it might be someone who's you know who's uh, had a worse experience at childbirth or whatever it is that you know it's sort of you've got to understand that there and I think this book does you know I think this book's really important and great because I think it does make you start thinking of things from other people's perspectives mm. and and you know and start thinking okay well maybe all journalists Maybe journalists are human beings underneath. Maybe people commentating on journalist work are, you know, are, are themselves. There's something going on there, and I, and I think we because we're not on it. People generally aren't honest about their failings. Um, I think it's, this what makes this book great, and also like makes you feel slightly sad as a reader because you know you're being so honest that makes us feel better about our own failings and our own our own worries about herself but you also think but you know this this woman shouldn't be being herself up she's clearly got something and there's there's clearly a reason she's there um and i guess you know but we also know having worked in that occasionally somebody gets through who is an imposter (laughs) so so it makes it very it makes it very very difficult you know to, to to get rid of that imposter syndrome, which I think most people, most normal people would have imposter syndrome in your situation. That That's the thing. I think the people that I'm most spooked by are the people who are absolutely sure of themselves. And I do, I do, you know, I do I meet them quite often. And I don't know if it's just me projecting my own stuff onto them, but I'm like, there's, I'm always hunting for the chink in their armour. And that's kind of what I'm doing when I look at people on the internet. I'm like trying to find their weaknesses to try and make myself feel a bit better about my own. But I think, you yeah. know, the more I learn about sort of narcissism and stuff on TikTok, I'm like, actually, there are people out there who are completely sure of themselves and 
uh, our brains are all made up completely differently. So maybe um, I need to stop, you know, thinking everyone is the same as me when actually there are people who are just quite content with their lot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's true. People are different. I think, you know, I think, but I think most people probably have, you know, a degree of, so, you know, it's a sliding scale and most people have a degree of doubt and, uh, and, and the things you're talking about. And there are definitely, you know, I've definitely met some of these people who's, confidence i mean it you know donald trump is the obvious example i can think of examples close to home where someone criticizes constantly but can't bear to take any form of criticism or ever admit they're wrong i've definitely met people like that harriet so you know whereas i would be in the position where if i feel i've upset someone even if i haven't i'll be apologizing and and stressing about it and worrying it for ages which i think is you know i think that's probably more the the general experience but you know i just think it, it's you know what's great about this book is is the fact that you have you have been honest about it um and uh, and i think a lot of people feel these things and do very similar things to the things you've done and uh and and don't admit it even to themselves so um but i think it's maybe it's just about finding that balance in the in the middle yeah. of being a little a little bit less harsh on yourself yeah. <laughs> and, and, and a bit less harsh on bands for that uh, are going to cry to <laughs> in the morning with DMs. But um, yeah, but yeah, I think, but also the book, because it is, you know, the second half of the book, I suppose, is about, um, you know, you meeting your husband and, and things sort of setting down a bit. And then, and then this, uh, this experience of early menopause and, uh, and having to go through IVF and, but still, thankfully managing to have your baby but that being difficult and you know but it but so it, it does turn into this a more personal story I suppose well not not more personal but um because it's it is still all personal all the way through but I but again I think it sort of is a little journey that uh, of maturing that yeah. we all go through to some degree <laughs> of yeah. our 20s being much more kind of solipsistic and then having other things to worry about as we get older yeah, yeah. The first half of the book is. Um, have you ever heard of the phrase limerence? No. So limerence is um, like a state of infatuation or obsession with another person, and right. it's like a. It's in a way of. It's a sort of coping mechanism. So the first half of the half of the book is very preoccupied with those sort of romantic fixations with. Yeah. People, girls, boys, anyone that I want to be near. Whereas the second half of the book is, it becomes way more um, confronting in terms of my own, uh, my body and my brain and the feeling of it sort of combusting at some point. And it's almost like, um, like a, I guess, a bit of a pressure cooker because you've had all this sort of neurosis and anxiety of being a teenager in your 20s and sort of abusing your body in certain ways. Nothing like brutal, but, you know, just drinking to oblivion and just not really taking care of yourself properly. And I almost felt like when I got into my 30s, my body was saying, I've had enough now, so I'm going to punish you for this. Um, and <laughs> I started just crying a lot and having hot flushes. And my brain just, it was like, um, I don't know, it was sort of moving in slow motion. It was really hard to access any words or information. And it was later diagnosed as the early menopause. Um and it sort of threw my internet obsession into a new realm, which was less about uh, kind of wanting aspirations and lust and more about wanting connection and feeling really lonely in my body. 
Um, because I think at some stage we all go through something weird with our health or our brains and our our lives that sort of isolates you and you feel it's really hard to tell people what's going on. It's, it was a, an unusual thing to go through the early menopause because none of my friends were doing it at the same time. And my mum was, you know, she'd been through it and is very stoic and ha- it hadn't really affected her that much. So I, I then retreated to sort of message boards and I just sort of randomly got obsessed with a guy on a bus that I yes. had some, I don't know, I don't know what it was, a draw to. Um, and yeah. I managed to find his social media just through staring at him for a year, which was one of the best things I've ever accomplished, I think. <laughs> <laughs> that's an extraordinary, again, that's an unusual, extraordinary story. Again, I think maybe most people wouldn't go that far but it but I you know I really empathize with you know that that being drawn to people and falling for people and falling in love with people and and just I suppose you're reaching out you know it it made me remember all those adolescent and to be fair well into my 20s and probably 30s where I was (laughs) where I was still you know trying to find connections with people yeah and and then how, how strong they can be, and sometimes sometimes it's something real, and sometimes it's something uh, fantastical or just you know made up. But yeah, you you getting obsessed with the man on the bus and and tracking him down online is uh, you know that that could be a, again a book on its own. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah. but again, it, and that has a nice has a nice little uh, connection to your own life as well. Yeah, it was a fine line writing that one between being introspective and navel gazy and then actually just being a stalker you know (laughs) I've been really careful about using the word stalk in the book because I really don't want to shame anyone who does it because I'm not hurting anyone at all I've never turned up outside anyone's house or touched touched anyone or sniffed anyone (laughs) from afar (laughs) it's all it's all kind of um for my own sort of internal uh enjoyment uh, and also I feel like maybe as a girl who's sort of public property from the age of, I don't know, nine or something, there's a certain like satisfaction and power in being the one who's staring at people. That's kind of how I felt a lot of the time writing sure. about it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, you know, it's again, it's it's interesting. And I think not many people would be honest enough to, to admit if they'd done something like along those lines as well. So, it, you know, I think it is... It, and it, yeah, it, it, it's different than some becoming obsessed with someone to the degree that you're destroying their life for certain. But I think yeah. it does it does give you a little glimpse into how you end up going down that road as well, though, I suppose, that, that you you remain in control of it. But it's yeah. I mean, it's the book starts with you, you and a friend observing your next door neighbours through the, <laughs> their yeah. window and enjoying the sort of soap opera of them basically doing nothing. Uh, but just yeah. but just seeing a secret world and that's you know that's the impetus behind it that we all have that we would all you know that's you know in a sense reading your book I felt like this is in a way the, the, your reader is your stalker admittedly you've mm. you've you've admittedly preferred this and given this information out but we're all reading a book that's why I quite enjoyed that element mm. of it that you, you're reading it knowing that we're getting delving into the personal aspects of your life and um, none of us are going oh I better I better back away from this this is too personal uh-huh. so we're all being you know we're all fascinated by the minutia of other people's lives and we're all uh potentially exactly the same so it, it is it is interesting how you I hope that would strike most people that you're, you're you yourself as the reader are 
are doing the same thing that you you are writing about in a, in a lot of ways admittedly with your permission (laughs) yeah that's such a nice point I really like I really like that I hadn't considered how the book is its own sort of uh intense voyeuristic exploit um but it is yeah (laughs) and I wanted to um I wanted to like reveal the very disgusting granular details of my body uh even though I know it's like not always nice to read about, but those things that we're often trying to hide about ourselves. So, you know, I know it's a bit of a, well, it was deemed a cliche for a woman to be talking about periods, but, you know, there's a lot of discussion about, you know, stains on beds or wetting myself and wearing a nappy and things that are quite sort of, um, I don't know if they're taboo, but they're certainly not always nice. But um, I wanted to like, give the reader almost a little bit too much because I really wanted to <laughs> yeah I just I wanted to have the experience of everyone just being in in me <laughs> and what it feels like and yes. um also after years of sort of centering men in my sort of writing or just generally wanting to be a, attractive to men it's quite nice to write something that is actively disgusting I think <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but you know, equally, it's. I think those things are, and the, and that that idea that women shouldn't write about, or that write, you know, that was always levelled at female comedians that all they did was talk mm. about periods, and a, it was really not true. Uh, but also, mm. every male comedian would absolutely talk about their cocks and their spunk yeah. and everything is, you know, ad infinitum. So it was sort of a way of shutting people up. Yeah. rather than rather than any truth in it and and I think also you know we, everyone needs to know this stuff I don't you know yeah. I think when you have an experience and I I wasn't really aware of uh, early menopause as an idea you know menopause is quite a mystery I think to most men and maybe even most young women because it's not something that gets it seems like just in the last couple of years more people are talking about it. Bridget Christie's been talking about it. A couple of, there's been a couple of other things I've seen recently where people have talked about it, but it's not something that I knew very much about. And I wouldn't have, you know, I wouldn't have considered um, someone going into menopause at, in their thirties uh, before. So, you know, that, I think those things are important, but I think it is, I, I, it's, it's obviously m- m- who I am a little bit as well and how, who, what I want to do with my stuff. But I think the more we can talk about those issues even if they're not universal, even if they're one in a thousand people, it's it's still help. It's helpful for the, the people who are going to do the same thing, but it's also helpful for uh, the other people to understand it. So I, I think this this book does all those things. But yeah, I suppose all all books are wireistic, aren't they? Really, all all books are us trying trying to get into the life of a fictional or real person and find out all the messy details about them. So you know, so I think uh, none of us, anyone who reads a book can't complain if you stalk them on the bus <laughs> <laughs> and found out where they work um yeah it, I is, mean, it's a, it is a charming story that one i have to say it's it's out of all the stalker stories i've ever read and i have all the stories of that that sort of thing it's it's a nice a nice and and a distant thing and it's yeah you, it, it never crosses a a line so it's um you know it's it's a very interesting i mean the book's full of stuff like that and it's it's a it's a very good read and there's a lot of uh, we've concentrated on more serious aspects of it, but uh, it is it's, it is very funny as well. Um, Thank you. I ask everyone um, if they're if they're reading anything they would like to recommend. I'm, I presume you're quite a reader. No, I'm not. Being a journalist. 
I'm so you're not? not? No. no, I'm not. I, I actually find reading really difficult. I know it's quite embarrassing to admit, but uh, I mean, in my teens and 20s, I was too busy having fun to read <laughs> and it just never became part of my um, habits. And then <laughs> in the last sort of 10 years, yeah, I have, I've, I've really loved it. Um, I'm actually reading Jen Began's Big Swiss, which is Right. The novel about um, a woman who uh, becomes obsessed with uh, another woman. Uh, she's trans- uh, she transcribes therapist notes and she becomes obsessed with the person that the, the therapist is talking about. Um, but I really like comedy books. Uh, so uh, I've like got all of Harry Hill books and growing up, I always loved uh, sort of the Adam and Joe book and like stupid little bitty things. I think my attention span's always been terrible. So I like reading small things that are funny. Yeah, good. Well, I think that's true of me to an extent as well. And doing this, doing this podcast about books is is an, is an attempt for me to uh, to read a bit more. Though I, I, t- I mean, audio books are good. Yeah, uh, I, I listen to your book as an audio book mainly. I have got the, the the copies. I actually kind of I don't know when I got your book. Your book was sitting on my desk for ages. I don't remember it arriving or who sent it, <laughs> and it was sitting there for a long, for a long time. It was me. To the point that. Um, but I don't know how it got into my house. You know, maybe you came into my house I and did, put it on my desk. Yeah. I don't remember it. I don't remember it arriving. It was there for a long time and I was looking at it and then it went somewhere else and my wife then gave it back to me. So it did feel like uh, I was meant to read this book. So oh, I'm glad that I have read the book. Thank you. And it's got, you know, you've got great quotes from a lot of top comedians on the on the front. Bob Mortimer, Sarah Pascoe, Jamie Demetri and Robert Popper all yeah. loved your book, which is... Uh, terrific terrific start so yeah and 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 it's been out and you've been book touring and um so will there be is is, will there be more is there another book in the pipeline yeah so i've started a novel about uh sort of lust rage and middle age uh but it's only twenty thousand words in so it's sort of a bit of an amorphous thing at this stage but yeah Yeah. i'm gonna keep writing i think good yeah well i know you know i hope you'll do more um uh, factual stuff but a novel will be very exciting as well and you can do a novel about you but you start killing musicians all comedians all comedians all comedians comedians could be next uh, tr- putting your book in their house and uh, yeah <laughs> look it's really it's really nice to meet you and the book's really great thank uh, you and uh, good luck with everything so uh, do go out and buy uh, is this okay by harriet gibson uh, thank, thank you very you. much. Thanks to Chris Evans uh, for his sterling work on this one, which I think the technical difficulties have been my fault, and Ben Evans as well, who uh, does lots of work on the podcast for us. And we'll see you next week. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Thanks again for listening to the podcast. RichardHerring.com slash ballback slash tour or richtang.com slash gigs for all of the information on the tour. Gofasterstripe.com for lots of downloads and books and lots of fun. Thanks for listening. Go and listen to another one. Tell your friends about the show. Tell your friends about the tour. I love you all. I'm out. <laughs>